Hello, friend. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap podcast, brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. And so here we are. This is the end of season two, the end of binge mode of this podcast. And one question I wanted to ask you is, I think a lot of people have, you know, strong feelings about season two versus season one. Where do you land on that debate? I think that I, I like them both for very different reasons. Because I think that the first has more interesting technology, but that the second one has much more interesting, um, like, psychological horror. I think that they kind of pivot and go down that direction a lot more in the second season. What about you? I think initially I really strongly liked season one better because, I mean, the pacing in that is what drives it for me. It's like a thriller and everything's a plot twist and it's incredible. But rewatching season two, I think I'm more on this side where I really like the character development I like the weirdness of it. Like the the Red Room scene in it is one of my favorites. I think I'm landing on the season two side. But I mean, of course, I love season one as well. And if we didn't love both seasons, we probably wouldn't have spent 100 hours uh, making this podcast with our awesome producer, Dave. So that gives us something else to talk about. What's your favorite scene from this season? My favorite scene? It probably is the Red Room. <laughs> I think it is. But yours, I think, can I guess? I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but you can, you can still guess. <laughs> Imagine if I guessed it wrong, what an asshole I'd be right now. <laughs> Is the Alexa and Dom conversation. I have told you privately that's my favorite episode, but the one that I said was my favorite on the podcast was the um, Angela Darlene FBI hack. I, I think that those are like my top two. I wouldn't be able to decide which one I like more. Because I think that the Alexa scene is um phenomenal character development and it just really endears me to dom as a character in season two but the technology and the finesse with their social engineering and the fbi hack is just too impressive i thought that was really cool as well do you have a least favorite scene in the season i hated the race storyline like all of it every one of those scenes i do too it's interesting actually my least favorite scene to watch, though, and the one I would probably skip over if I were watching it again, though, is when Elliot scoops the pills out of his own vomit and swallows them again. Did you know that part of that was actual vomit? Like, no. I mentioned, I mentioned to you that they made convincing looking vomit when we were talking about that episode. And I said that if you Google it, you can find out spoilers about how it was produced. And I think that like some of it is fake vomit. I'd be surprised if it was all real. But he revealed in an interview that he like stuck his hand down his throat to get at least a little bit of realistic gagging for that scene. I gagged watching that scene, and I for sure will never watch it again. It's especially disgusting because he picks the pills out of it. Like That's what makes it so much nastier. All right. So those are you know, some thoughts about season two. There's a song in this that, I don't know, this is like the season two song to me. Love this song. It's actually a cover, though. It is a cover. Um, the original song, uh, it's by Amy Mann. It's called The Moth. The moth don't care when he sees the flame. He might get burned, but he's in the game. And once he So this is the finale, the second part of the two-part episode. It starts once again with a flashback, 
we see um, Tyrell with Mr. Robot in Tyrell's Escalade. I think that this is a flashback to a scene in season one. That scene in season one where Tyrell is very forcefully trying to convince him they were supposed to be allies, and that's after his firing from E-Corp. I think one thing we see here is that Elliot, if you watch the acting, he's acting very much more like Mr. Robot than like the Elliot character that we know. So that's, of course, this is the gap in Elliot's memory that we never got to see before. They cut to present day where Tyrell is saying, I believe in fate. So he thinks this whole thing is fated to be. Elliot, in a metaphor that's somewhat unclear to me, says you're you're only seeing what's in front of you. You're not seeing what's above you. I had no idea what that was about. One thing here is that if you watch it with closed captioning on, it says that you'll hear seagulls, which just made me think of the, are you a seagull or a giraffe? That and was, that's probably, what's that? That was me. That was you? <laughs> Making the seagull sound? <laughs> Calming ocean noises. Tyrell he emotes a lot more in these last two episodes of this season than he ever has before he's crying he's openly weeping so that's three remember I was keeping a counter of everyone who (laughs) cried in this episode and here comes the red wheelbarrow so he says the first few lines of the poem and so remember that was the Red Wheelbarrow Barbecue Restaurant was the flyer that the code came from. Elliot's notebook is called Red Wheelbarrow. Apparently, that was the only English that Tyrell's father knew, so he would repeat that poem to him often. The Red Wheelbarrow comes up a lot in this series. I know that there are other examples, but just one off the top of my head is that really terrifying scene where Elliot's on Adderall and hallucinating the cements. Um, They use a Red Wheelbarrow to produce that. Tyrell uses that... um, to remind him of what he never wanted to become. So I wonder if where it's appeared previously in this series, it's as a caution not to become uh, a monster or not to become that thing that's foreign to you or so far from your goals. They go to a warehouse. Guess who's here again? Sandwich man. Sandwich man. I was happy to see him. That guy's like a pro elevator operator, right? That's a dying art and a dying profession. So, you know, I wonder where... He must need a new sandwich place in the new neighborhood. Oh, that's right. Man, they never think about when they displace the sandwich artists. All this gentrification. Um, so he lets them up in the elevator. Dark Army set up a warehouse for them to work out of. Elliot's behaving really, uh, really weirdly, and Tyrell's nervous that he can't handle it. Yeah, I think that Tyrell is kind of starting to lose confidence in him. Tyrell, yeah, I'd be pretty spooked if I were Tyrell. I would have been before, though. Like, Elliot has never really been a particularly sane person, so it's not like this is coming out of left field. Elliot says that Joanna's looking for him, and Tyrell says something that calls way back in his relationship with her. He says that he's doing what's necessary. Oh, yeah. Isn't that one of the quotes from the... Is it even the pilot episode, or maybe just the first scene that he has with Joanna? Yeah, it's one of the very early scenes. So is that's that... quite a callback. Let's take a look now inside the FBI, where... Dom and her superior are, well, they have Darlene in an interrogation room. I'm really glad to see that Darlene is okay. Because we just see the whole diner being shot up, right? We don't know um, who's made it out of that attack. We learn, because Dom expresses her sympathies, that Cisco is killed. Isn't it a very Mr. Robot move to kill off a character like Cisco off screen? If you think about it, the major characters, Romero dies off screen, uh, Shayla dies off screen. They seem to avoid, and I'm glad they do, to be honest, 
killing off major characters in sight of the audience. The only person I think we ever see die is Sharon Knowles. Uh, And Gideon. Oh, and Gideon. So the more minor characters, I think they're, for some reason, they include those more. So I think that Dom is offering her condolences to Darlene, uh, in part because she is legitimately sympathetic, but I also think that she's kind of trying to pull a, a good cop, bad cop routine with Santiago. Dom, too, feels some responsibility here, I think, because... Dom had warned if the sketch was released, this was the likely outcome. So because she was not able to be successful in blocking that bulletin from coming out, I mean, that led the Dark Army right to them. So I think she does feel some regret, genuine regret. Santiago is the real bad cop here. He references the Patriot Act. Nothing good ever follows a reference to the Patriot Act and says that Darlene is essentially an enemy combatant. Dom, as you pointed out, tries a very different approach. And so... This calls back to what Tyrell says to Elliot in some ways, where she says, we're not so different. And she actually says, by the end of the day, we're going to be friends, which I think is like a pretty bold assertion on her part, given the uh, given the structure of this particular conversation. <laughs> yeah, Darlene isn't really hearing any of it. And with everything that Dom says, she just um, invokes her Fifth Amendment privilege. So with Elliot's help, Joanna was able to track down where those phone calls were coming from. And we see that she arrives at the Knowles residence once again. She doesn't break in this time. I think she waits to be let in. <laughs> that was nice of her. It was. What's going to happen next is not going to be so nice. She's pretty sharp. So she, once they tracked him, she was able to piece together that all of the gifts she'd received, the baby rattle, the music box, the sonogram, they all came from him. And he's obviously had like a hard downhill slide here. He's very drunk. Yeah. Joanna asks if he feels powerful right now. And that that sends him down a pretty dark road where he contrasts the happiest day of his life. He gets promoted to CTO. They have a big party for him at work. He learns that his wife is pregnant with their first child, the very happiest day of his life, and that he lost everything. He gained and lost everything in one fell swoop. And now he's also openly weeping. That's four on Aaron White's weeping counter. Wow. I felt like he was really good at the the crying axing, to be honest. I don't know if that's the best word for it, but he really sold that. Is this when we discover that Sharon was pregnant? Yes, this is when we learn that. We didn't know that up until this point. That's devastating. And Joanna doesn't even really blink an eye about this revelation. Quite the opposite. I think it gives her fuel for what she's about to do next. He tries to apologize to her, and she tells him off and turns on him, and even, I think, provokes his anger in a way. When I was first watching it, I wasn't sure if she was provoking him deliberately, but I think that the way it plays out kind of gives me that impression. Yes, and which is not to say that her provocation justifies what happens next, because in a reverse of the Tyrell and Sharon scene, Scott Knowles, I guess, knocks her down. He's on top of her, strangling her and like beating the hell out of her. This yeah. is a pretty vicious scene that we see. It is really horrible. And that's a, a very interesting parallel to the Tyrell and Sharon scene because I think that Scott reacts in a very similar way. He kind of realizes that he was being impulsive and that he took an action without thinking it through. And as soon as he realizes what he's done, he calls 911. Let's look back at Darlene's interrogation now. Dom, still trying to be personal, um, tells her that Vincent, F Society, Dude Bro One, he is going to live. He's going to live and go to jail. Bad news. They also have pointed at Darlene and said that she's the ringleader um, of the whole operation. 
she says that she's not a leader and this reminded me of what cisco said to her and i think the prior episode maybe two episodes ago when she was refusing to bring vincent to the hospital darlene's very tough in this whole scene so she she asks for a lawyer I think if we were if this were like an episode of Bojack Horseman, she'd just say "suck a dick, dumb shits." She basically does say that, actually. Like she uses those words. <laughs> uh, Dom laughs at her, which I think is interesting because she's pulling out of the buddy cop, and it's so it's condescending, and and then she leaves her alone in the room. Dom comes back. She's got some goodies. Maybe this is what she was laughing about. Here we learn that Dom also watched that movie, The Polite Massacre of the Bourgeoisie. She saw it when she was a kid, too. So she recognized that mask instantly. She also has all the video equipment from the smart house. Uh, the video equipment was from the Raid in Cisco's place, actually. Oh, my apologies. So Darlene is pretty screwed here. They have some very good circumstantial evidence. But she is also able to... Um, raise plausibly deniable excuses. It seemed kind of weird to me that she would ask for her lawyer in one sentence, though, and then when they ask a question, she just forgets that she wants her lawyer and starts explaining all of it. Well, I think maybe that's how well Dom's approach is working, right? That she does let her guard down. Yeah, I guess so. But when she does start to talk and try to get out of it, Dom produces the bullet. The smoking gun, as it were. <laughs> And also reveals that when they brought Alexander Jones in, he said that Darlene had stolen his gun, which they're not able to attribute to her because she had wiped down the safe that she took it from. But there is that strong circumstantial connection. Let's go back to Sandwich Guy's warehouse, where Tyrell looks genuinely happy, like in a state of childlike glee, which I have never seen before from this character. Yeah, he seems pretty happy about the progress of stage two. Here's where we learn what stage two actually is. E-Corp, they're actually overlooking an E-Corp building where they can see that paper records are being imported from other sites. I, I don't know if it's all around the country or all around the world. Yeah, I guess the idea is that they have lost all their electronic records, but they might still be able to rebuild them by combing through all these paper records. They're going to have all the paper records within one month. The documents Elliot's actually shown are blueprints and documents about power supplies. He's not exactly sure what to make of it, but he knows the plan is ultimately to destroy the paper record so E-Corp cannot reconstruct its databases. So now we understand what stage two is really about. Yeah, we understand that um, this attack is made possible by the malware that was planted on the femtocell. So when Darlene was looking at Cisco's laptop and overheard the Dark Army talking about um, backdooring the femtocell for stage two, this is that story playing out. Next we see Joanna, and she's taken a real beating from um, Scott Knowles in the previous scene. It seems like she's recovering now. She is, and I think this has turned out the way she planned it to, as horrible as it seems, because Derek is there and he's pitching a fit, saying he'll do anything to get revenge on this guy who's done that to her. And then we see what her plan was for Derek. It's revealed that he was the bartender from the night that Sharon was murdered. Derek is so dumb. He's like the new Ollie. <laughs> he is exactly the new Ollie. Joanna says, no, no, don't go. Don't go beat him up. Don't go do anything stupid. If you really would do anything to protect me, you'll say that on the night of the E-Corp party, you saw Scott Knowles come down from the roof, disheveled, not talking to anyone and in a hurry to get out of there. So very clearly trying to frame Scott for the murder of Sharon is how I infer that. And I expect that we'll see that play out over season three. 
But the story seemed kind of ridiculous to me. How did you feel about it? I think it's very risky. You know, Knowles easily could have killed her or... I would also have expected him to maybe act in a more restrained fashion. Yeah. You know, there were so many ways where this could have went, um, where he could have went too far, not far enough. And I think that considering how powerful Joanna is, it made me wonder why she didn't just sick Mr. Sutherland on him like she had done with Kareem. Because there are so many ways that she could have handled this more simply than allowing herself to be beaten up for the purposes of framing him. And I think perhaps she wants something for Knowles that is so public that it erases any doubt about Tyrell's involvement in the murder because he needs to be cleansed of that before he can return home into their family oh so that makes sense i see where this is going so i think this is a high risk high reward play on her part we're back with darlene in the fbi we're back with uh dom and darlene in that fbi interrogation room dom notices that um this is the hardest case that she's ever worked on and they kind of both realizes that no matter what happens here they're both part of history This goes back to a conversation Dom is having moments earlier with her supervisor where she wants to do the investigation because she knows Darlene. She is Darlene. And that makes me want a lot more backstory about Dom and why she believes they're so similar because I think it runs a lot deeper and is more complex than like that kind of stupid jokey bit about, you know, we're both girls from Jersey, right? I think that Dom has a lot more in common with the F Society militants than she first realizes. Darlene tries to shut her down by saying that they're not special. Neither one of them are special, and that's been a theme. Dom says, you're more special than you think. That's when she takes her, it's almost unbelievable, out of the interrogation room and through, you know, she's not in handcuffs or anything, through an open FBI office. As this happens, all the agents stand up and stare at her. They've probably never seen anything like it. They don't know. It's like, that's a private, secure space. They don't know what's going on. The brownouts are still rolling. We see the lights flicker on and off. And where they ultimately get to, uh, to me, it looks like a 5-9 hack research room. There's a lot of flow chart. There's file boxes everywhere. And this is where Dom explains the Python approach. Dom says that, you know, a regular approach, go out guns blazing, try to take everybody down they can catch, isn't going to work. But the way a python gets its prey is it waits, and it waits a long time. And then finally, when they're sure they can do it, they close in and descend on it. I thought it might be a reference back to the Ouroboros in a way that's also a snake. I can see that. It also is um, a programming language, Python, and it's the one that they use to start the 5.9 hack, so that might be related. Oh, that's a good catch. Yeah. There is a continuity error here in Darlene's hair that I can't unsee. If you look at her in the previous scene and in this scene, it's not styled the same way at all. I hadn't noticed that, but now you've ruined the scene for me. I apologize. Because this is such a good scene, too. I'm kind of surprised they don't end the episode with this scene. It's so good. But remember how paranoid they all were when Romero got killed? It's an accident. It was a stray bullet from a neighbor. And I have to say, as a Canadian, that sounds almost unfathomable that your neighbors just have guns and bullets fly around. But well, I guess... I'm from Northern Ontario, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I guess we both are. Okay, you know what? I take it back. I take it back. Uh, Romero's death is an accident. What Dom had earlier got permission to show Darlene. It's confidential FBI material. It's a huge flowchart. It kind of implicates every single member of F Society. It shows that this whole time they've had more insight into that group than they've revealed. Well, it even lists F Society activists that aren't really known to us as viewers and in sort of the lower tiers of the chart. 
Darlene, of course, is there. She's quite close to the center. And then Elliot. So Elliot's not really the person they're after. And I think this is why Darlene gets really wide-eyed because the person at the center of the flowchart that the FBI believes is responsible for all of this is Tyrell Wellick. So that explains why Dom had asked about Tyrell and not Elliot when they were interrogating Mobley. Another thing, um, they say that a python can go a year without eating. And it's been about a year since we ate any Mr. Robot. So maybe that's the reference that they're making too. <laughs> so this scene, this is a, this is a pretty beady scene. Um, couple little things. The first time we ever see Dom in the series, she's actually in this room. She's eating the lollipop, which has disappeared. Notice? Think Finally. Um, she's in this very room. And also, um, I think that it's really cool here when they're both looking at the whiteboard and just Dom's line delivery when she's talking about the Python approach, you know, and she kind of punches it with, you know, the Python is the patient predator. That's very, very good here. So this is a very well done scene, especially for such a big revelation. Now we're back with Elliot and Tyrell at their uh, Dark Army Supplied headquarters. Mr. Robot and Tyrell, it seems, had really planned all of this together every step so the involvement of the dark army the femme to cell backdoor the jail release all of it so this has been kept from elliot and perhaps in that protective way that's sometimes used where he's not aware of everything he's only aware of as much as he can handle at any given time mr robots had a consciousness about it so or mr robot has been aware of it so this is all very shocking Tyrell wants to proceed with stage two. He's very firm on this. Elliot has realized that the intention, I think, is to burn down the building with all the paper records. That means people might die, which is a consequence I think he's never been willing to accept and isn't at this moment because he's putting up a pretty good fight. Yeah, this echoes when um, Mr. Robot had tried to blow up Steel Mountain in the first season. Elliot goes to delete everything, but... um, Remember the gun from the popcorn machine? Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. You know who's got it? Tyrell. Tyrell says that if he stops this now, he's going to destroy their destiny. Elliot, at this point, thinks Tyrell is an extension of him, which makes me feel better about the theory that I had for a long time about how Tyrell was just a projection of him. You know how you've been talking about Elliot Collective and Elliot Prime? Yeah. There's one quote here where he says, we are prime. And I thought that that might have been related. Oh, I didn't um, even catch that. Yeah, well, you wouldn't catch it if you didn't know that that terminology was being used. But this scene, I I really wasn't convinced if Tyrell was real or not. How did you feel about it? I really wasn't either because Elliot kind of taunts him, almost pushes him to shoot him. And also remember that Mr. Robot has shot him several times. And because he is part of Elliot Collective... You know, you'd see him get shot, and then you'd see him very slowly get back up. Does that count as the first, uh, as the time Chekhov's gun was fired then? I think it's been fired a bunch of times over the... Oh, okay. Maybe I'm I'm wrong in using it then. No, no, I like it. I like it. There's nothing about the theory that says it can't be fired many times. (laughs) So part of me expects that now, when Tyrell does shoot him, that that might be what happens, that he might just get back up, wrap himself in bandages, and carry on with his life. That basically is what happens. But not so not exactly <laughs> though because so it seems like this is this is a real bullet and Tyrell he's crying um as he goes to shoot him I already counted him but this is the fifth time someone has cried in this two-part episode that Elliot had given them the instruction to stop anyone who was in his way even if it was Elliot himself and so 
He shoots him in the gut. He falls to the floor, and this scene fades to black. It seems as though Elliot survived this injury, and now Tyrell is placing a phone call to Angela. Which is really interesting because I don't think they've had any interaction or any awareness of each other until this point. Angela assures him it's a secure line. Because they arranged it. Yes, the capital T, they. Um, She wants to be the first person that Elliot sees. Actually, I don't think I'm framing that right. Because I think what she really says is, I should be the first person he sees. Which makes me think that the two of them are stage managing how he comes out of his recovery. She tells Tyrell it's okay that it happened. He did what was needed. So obviously she knows about stage two and thinks this action is perfectly justified. So they're reassuring each other about what's happened. I guess we know now that Elliot lived. The closing lines of this scene, I don't know what to make of them yet. Tyrell says, and he's still crying, he says, I love him. Elliot, that is. And Angela says, I do too. I thought this might be a sign that Angela has gone from the heel turn to the face turn, that she's back on the side of good. But I don't think you agree with that theory. Well, there's just not really enough information for us to come to any conclusions here. I'm still in the dark about if Tyrell and Angela have known each other for a long time, or if it was only after she met White Rose and was introduced to the Dark Army that they were put in contact. Oh, that's a good question. The gaps in information in the show lead you to make assumptions, which which I love. I think it's kind of smart storytelling, but they often lead me to uh, incorrect theories. So all of these are subject to challenge once we actually get into stage three. Now, I want to just finish off the episode by saying we really appreciate your listenership and your support. Thanks for binging seasons one and two with the Mr. Rewatch team. Thanks so much for listening to the season two finale of Mr. Rewatch. We recorded this episode in Hamilton. The organization we'd like to highlight for you today is archive.org. That's a nonprofit digital library with the stated mission of universal access to all knowledge. So if you have a couple of bucks, please consider supporting their work at archive.org. I'm Devlin. And I'm Aaron. Bonsoir. Oh, wait, there's one more scene. Yeah, I guess we come to expect that from the season finales at this point. <laughs> we'll be so disappointed if they don't do it next time. So this, it's not really clear to us at first what we're seeing. Uh, we're zooming in on the parking lot of a fast food restaurant. Yeah, and some people are hanging out there taking a break, having a Kit Kat. Our old friends. Some people we haven't seen in a little while. Trenton and Mobley did find each other, I guess, that day at Ron's Coffee. And they are living a new life now as Tanya and someone. I didn't catch their new names. Yeah, they've got new fake names. They've got new identities. They've changed their appearance. Um, Mobley's cut his hair. It makes me really sad that Trenton has taken her hijab off. Yeah, that made me sad too. Because I think her family and her heritage were so important to her, I think it's it's a real sacrifice she's had to make here to take that off, to go on, on the lamb, I guess. Because they're, they're fugitives at this point, I would yeah. assume. Although it seems like the Dark Army didn't have any trouble tracking them down. So before we get to that... Trenton and Mobley are roommates now? I think that's cute. I think it's cute. I always thought they might be romantically involved. Trenton has proposed that they undo the hack, that they put everything back as best they can and restore all the data. And that's what they're discussing. When, as you mentioned, we see a surprise visitor. It's Leon. I love that it's Leon. I'm so glad that this means Leon is going to be in the next season. Me too. Leon says, do you have the time? And that's the real end of season two, folks. 